Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today we're joined by the wonderful Tony Hale to talk all about the Disney Plus series, The Mysterious Benedict Society. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the character development process when you first came on board for this project, because it's so fascinating to begin with, just the idea of developing mm. two, you know, two characters to begin with. And then obviously they're, they're genetically very close as twins, mm. but they really haven't been around each other since they were children. Mm. So they become these very different people, and it feels like always were very different in a lot of ways personality wise as well and so I was so fascinated by what that looked like for your development process in in really shaping these two characters and finding some of the linear threads between them but really honing them each as their own individual identities yeah it was um uh I think the challenge for me was to not look at it like um good twin bad twin and that you know we're all a mixed bag um, the backstory for the twins were that they were in an orphanage and then one of them got adopted and one didn't. And the quote, you know, we'll say complicated twin. Um, he had a lot of resentment. He had a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger. And that was kind of started his journey into kind of wanting revenge and wanting kind of false power and all this kind of stuff. And then Benedict, the other twin who left, he had such a burden for his brother and so much empathy and it like started his journey. So anytime I would kind of get into their shoes, I would always try to remember that because then if you're, if you're just kind of doing an idea of a character, like the evil guy, it just comes off like a cardboard cutout. It's, it's not, it's not grounded, but for instance, Curtin, who's the other brother, the complicated one, he would, when he's talking to somebody, he would not be listening to them. He would just be talking at them because he's all about just trying to build himself up and create a shell and protect himself. He doesn't really care what somebody else is saying. Whereas Benedict has bad posture. He's carrying the weight of the world on him and he is just engaged and listening and empathetic. And it just kind of helped me kind of navigate where they were. In addition to the fact that as actors, we are a small piece of this pie, production design, hair, makeup, wardrobe, they create a world for these two brothers that are so different that you it's an impossibility almost to not be able to remind yourself who you are at the time. Because your, your world, like Benedict's world is very warm and greens and browns and um, and then Curtin is very blues and cold and his, 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 his wardrobe is very uptight. So it's like, you can't help but kind of engage in them, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And you mentioned there some of the physical attributes of, of Benedict. And within that, you know, there's kind of like a looseness, like he's always leaning in towards people. Yeah. Um, you know, and then for Curtin, it's there's a real rigidness. And yeah. he, like the tailoring of his outfits really lend themselves to that versus yeah. the fabric that Benedict has. Was that something that you kind of saw for yourself and envisioned very early on on the page of the script? Or were some of those elements helped by the external aspects like the costumes and really seeing their environments once you walked onto set? Yeah, I mean, when I came in, I kind of, we had talked about wanting Benedict's hair to be kind of wild. And he he's not, he's not about self-maintenance. <laughs> He's just, I don't think he's ever put a brush in his hair. He wears the same suit all the time. He, fashion and that is just not a part of his world. Um, whereas Curtin, it's like, he's got a stylist. His hair is like gelled back. Um, he probably goes to posture class. Like he is like, he is on it because it's all about presentation. Because the minute that veneer cracks, he knows that's dangerous. The flood's coming out. So he's got to keep that shell strong. 
Whereas Benedict is just all over the map, but, and to the point where sometimes you think Benedict's losing it because he's so, his, his the emotions are all over the spectrum, but he's just living life. He's living what you should be living. Whereas Curtin is just super controlled. And with Curtin, one of the interesting dynamics in, in his complications, as you so delicately yeah. put it, is watching him as a father in the show. You know, he's mm. a son, and that's something that he never experienced himself. Mm. And seeing what that looks like, where it's almost like he's trying to manufacture the experience of his son going through the world, like mm. okay, rather than being happy for him that he's made a friend, he's saying, well, you shouldn't be trusting other people. You've never mm. been friends before. And so he's projecting so much of his own trauma and his past onto mm. him. And so how did that really open up um, a different emotional facet and space that allowed you to really bring forth a lot of the audience, not just seeing him as, as a one note villainous character, but again, yeah. understanding where the emotional trajectory comes from for him. Yeah. And it's like, I love how you put that. Cause I think that all he knows, he's, he, he's only teaching what he knows to be true. He's only, he's literally telling his son, you've got to protect, you can only protect yourself because that's how he survived. He doesn't, he doesn't, if he, the whole Benedict concept, his other brother is like, you are crazy. You are exposing yourself to so much danger and so much emotional, you know, carnage. Why would you even do something like that? So he's telling his son, like, if you want to protect yourself, this is what you have to do. And it's like, that's all he knows. But you see in the first season specifically, you see hints of you know, the light coming out has really loving his son, but not knowing how obviously to really love him. With Curtin as well, I wanted to ask about the meals that he would have with people throughout yeah. one, because he would, you know, whether it was a student or one of the staff, there were all these one-on-one -on -one meals and it was very much about him looking for information or again, mm -hmm. trying to control and manipulate something, mm -hmm. you know, even down to, well, you don't want to put too much sauce on your steak because that's uncouth. You know, he wants to control yeah, yeah, yeah eating and what they're eating yeah um, and how did you view that that side of like the meals and and what it said to you about him as a character that he wants to constantly have these one-on-one -on -one meals but what the, mm. that dynamic is you know what I have to say until you've said that I haven't really thought about that I love that because it really is such a like he had a meal with number two he's had a, in the new season he's had a meal or he had a meal with Garrison the kids there's a there's a sense there's a manipulation factor of if i have a one-on-one -on -one meal with them they'll feel special and i'll get more information from them so he's not really again caring about the other person he's just wanting information but it's all arranged completely orchestrated in this i care about you we're having a one-on-one -on -one. we're not with a group you're special and it's very manipulative very manipulative and in, in the making of the show, obviously with the first season, you know, we were still so far in the depths of the pandemic. And so that really restricted a lot of the ways in which you were able to work with the cast. You weren't able to spend time outside of when you were filming scenes. The crew were all still wearing masks throughout the mm -hmm. entire production. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so what's what's been the difference in how being able to take more of that space outside of scenes in season two and also, you know, knowing these two characters in depth in a different way has really opened up the space in the way in which you're able mm. to watch a show like this. Yeah, I love that because like we were in Vancouver for six months and we couldn't come back home. And so there was a, and also what was really interesting, Mara, is like the, the show was talking about all this noise in society and the truth rising above the noise. And there was so much noise around COVID. There was so much, where do we go? What's the truth? What is the truth? And everybody was looking for just the truth to rise above and political noise. There was just, where's the truth? 
So we kind of felt like there was a real parallel happening creatively with what we were doing and we were kind of stuck and we couldn't go anywhere. And then being home for the second season, it was a different kind. The, the message, what I think is a big part of the message um, this season is the difference between authentic happiness and artificial happiness. And because Curtin has now become a self-help guru and he's selling happiness. He's, he, he's like a cult leader, whereas Benedict, you know, again, is the whole spectrum of emotions. And, at the t- and when we're doing this show, we're at home. You know, we're like, this is, I, I, my, the studio was like five minutes from my house compared to like, I couldn't come home for six months. Like it was, it was really wild how we're talking about like authentic happiness and like we were finally back at our homes and like, this is this family relationships, how we treat each other. That is where happiness lies. It's not, it's not somewhere else in this business. I mean, especially with, with those sorts of limitations as well, when you're working on scenes, um, you know, comedically speaking and finding a lot of those elements, that's so much about really feeling out the rhythm and, and mm. a lot of that often comes from the dynamic that you build off screen or yeah. to try alternatives within a scene. You know, and when you're working with someone like Kristen Schaal on a scene, how does it help having, you know, the, the level of cast that you're working with as scene partners when you can't kind of play around in the way that you usually would define mm. it, just knowing that whatever you serve up, they're going to give you something back to kind of respond to again. Yeah. You mean in the first season? The first season. Yeah. 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 It was, it was challenging because like, I, it was challenging and it was also, there was little gifts in there that we were so thankful for. It was challenging because we couldn't really hang out as much as we wanted to. So you couldn't really create those cast relationships that you do on a show typically, but Kristen specifically, I had created like a a Saturday pod with her and her husband. And every Saturday we would get together and I just lived for this Saturday because I couldn't, I would go back to my apartment. I couldn't see anybody and I would just live for Saturday. And it was like, that's a time where we could get to know each other and laugh. And, you know, her, she had her daughter with her and, and it really helped our connection on set. Like it was, it was just nice to have that connection, honestly. And when you were coming into the second season as well, there's obviously time that's passed between the end of yeah. season one. Like you mentioned, you know, Curtin's become this self-help guru. Yeah. Dick's really holding this emotional space of, of kind of re-meeting his brother, but then the yeah. fact what that dynamic ended up being at the end of season one. Um, and so how did you kind of navigate finding, okay, what do I think this space in between season one and season two mm. has looked like for both of these characters to bring them to where we're meeting them in episode one? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think he was still Benedict. There was a time where he was just simply looking for his brother. And then there was a time where all, all of a sudden he sees his brother on billboards, you know, saying he solved what was the crisis, the emergency. And you're like, huh? Like that was a 180 that he was not expecting. So, and also at the same time, I haven't really seen the kids because they've all they all kind of went to their separate places except Constance and they've all grown and they're practically teenagers now. So there was a definite, and that's a part of site season two starting is I want to bring the family back together. I miss everybody and I want to get everybody back together, which again is an interesting parallel of like after COVID when everybody's like, gosh, let's get together. Let's everybody, let's congregate. Let's not be separated anymore. So it's pretty cool how that kind of lines into it too. And also the fact for for Benedict with that idea of, you know, season one was very much about 
trying to form and build a family and mm. now in essence that's happened but it's the evolution of what does that dynamic look like um and so mm. how do you kind of him approaching the evolution of I've had this particular relationship dynamic with people around me but now that we're connected in a different way what is that going to look like um yeah I mean it's and they kind of I think the kids specifically had the challenge of like they hadn't seen each other so they had to really kind of you know kind of get to know each other again I didn't really, right off the top, we get kidnapped. So I had, I didn't really have much time with the kids until, you know, towards the end. But um, so there, cause they were always on the hunt for us, but I know that they, they're kind of a found family, but since they've been apart, they had to kind of rekindle those relationships again. Of course, number two and I were just kind of this disgruntled relationship that we're always kind of codependent and with each other all the time. <laughs> And, and with the approach of, of having to play these two characters, was it actually a really helpful element that it wasn't until the end of season one that they actually shared a scene? With mm. That's obviously very different to play off against yourself in a scene than yeah. to be switching between characters, which is already enough of a challenge. Yeah, it was. Um, that was kind of fun leading up to that when they see each other. And this second season, we have so many scenes together. So it presented a whole new challenge of like when I was reading a scene I'm, you know, you're so used to reading the cue and then, you know, your cue and then you, you read that line, you get your cue, just memorizing the entire page. So like each line, to, so like kind of what I do in life, talk to myself. I was just doing that memorizing because I'm just talking to myself, you know. Did you have a, did you have a stand-in actor that would, would play yeah. that you and how did that help in terms of, especially just the first time that they see each other in season two, they're kind of very much just talking over each other and there's a yeah, real yeah. And pacing that you have to find. And, and so how are you working with the stand-in actor to find a lot of the cadence of a scene as well? Yeah. I, they had a wonderful guy who was reading off the lines and, but then um, because in our show, they don't do like a, what's called over the shoulder, like a dirty shot where you get a piece of somebody's shoulder. You just do a head on just the face. You don't get a piece of anybody else, which kind of helped in the sense of he would be reading my lines and then I would have a piece of tape that I would just be looking on the lens. And that's who I was looking at because of eye lines for, so that kind of, that's something I got used to. And then I, you know, it's kind of sad when I've gotten used to like, oh, I can just act across a piece of tape. I don't know what that says about, <laughs> my creative life but I'm like oh a piece of tape is fine I don't need a human being <laughs> and with, with the fact that Curtin has become this this self-help guru that's that's selling the idea of happiness um it sounds like you did do a really deep dive in terms of researching a lot of that realm mm. what were some of the the linear threads that you found particularly when it came to the communication and the language that mm. really wanted to bring into him as a character yeah um I wanted you know, I, I still want the audience and I, Curtin is just, he's a, he's kind of a performer. He's a good actor. So for somebody to really sway an enormous group of people, like a large group of people, you got to be good at what you're doing. So if he came off like a crazy person, or if he came off as bitter and disjointed as he was in the first season at parts, people wouldn't follow him. So I really kind of, you know, gave him this gloss of like his, the attraction of when he would talk to people and he was almost he was kind of mimicking Benedict a little bit like he would seem as though he really cared but I tried to like you know when you're kind of talking to somebody and they're kind of 
acting as though they're listening, but they're kind of glossed over. It happens a lot in Hollywood. Um, I kind of played that a little bit. Like, I'm not really listening to you, but I'm acting as though I am. <laughs> That's so sad. I also love the fact that that both of them suffer from narcolepsy and for Curtin, yeah. it's filled by vulnerability. Yes. And you first were playing a scene in a moment where that's discovered in the show. Um, for you, kind of, where did you think about, okay, I think this would be the tipping point where his body just feels like he's been too vulnerable and it literally just can't take it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was fun, like, with Curtin, at the end of season one, when it was Rainey, who started asking about his son, bringing you back to that, like, you saw that even though he was teaching his son, you know, you got to stay strong and the world's going to hurt you. He has a real heart for his son and loves his son. So when mystic Rainey kept going on and on about his son, it was too much. And that's what made him pass out. No one had ever, ever done that for him. And he just lost it. And with Benedict, it sounds like it was a bit of a journey in finding what that narcolepsy looked like mm. at the beginning of the show and, and even just the first episode, kind of wanting to lean into the pratfall element of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then pulling it back. So <laughs> how, did, how did you ultimately find the space or kind of try different versions of what that was going to look like at the beginning? Yeah, they had to rein me in sometimes because I do love a pratfall. And I do. And also with Kristen, who plays number two, like it was, we really wanted to play into that, but it was a fine line of like, you know, do you go full Carol Burnett show pratfall or do you, do you just kind of let it, you know, just like really let him pass out? Cause when things get too heightened for him, he can't take it and he passes out. Um, <laughs> um, and it was fun to have what I love about Kristen number two next to me is just, she's so over it. It's so like a Tuesday for her. She's like, well, pull his, pull his head off the plate. I mean, we got to do that again. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Wait to move the dinner closer to him. Too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in, in terms of, of kind of the way that you kind of go into all characters and just always finding what is that element of myself that makes sense mm. to into it. Mm. I was interested in that, particularly with these two, you know, and especially mm. when it comes to a character like Curtin, that like mm-hmm. you said, could have been one version, but really... Mm-hmm. That, that complexity and and I've heard you mention before that you were playing kind of a more nefarious character a few years ago and it was actually an acting coach that, that mm. you know even though this character feels very dissimilar there's traits even underneath yeah. the surface that relate to that and so how with these two characters did you go through the journey of finding what elements of myself even if it's something that's very much underneath the surface and not something that I'm exhibiting in my day-to-day really mm. makes them to bring into them yeah I, with Benedict it wasn't just you know I I do enjoy, I mean, I love to empathize. I love to kind of hear people out. And so I, and I love, I do, I mean, I try to be kind. So you, you find that in you, but it was also his guilt. You know, Benedict had a lot of guilt for his brother and I don't have guilt for my brother, but I carry guilt for other things. And so tapping into that a lot of just how much that can, how much that can burden us throughout our life and we don't realize it and how much it can kind of direct our journey. Um, and with, with Curtin, I mean, I think I might have mentioned this in that interview is that I, you know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't manipulative in my day and I haven't been manipulative and I, I'm not, I'm, I can be a very sarcastic person. I can also be a very a guarded person. If I don't want somebody close, I will put off signs that you got to keep your distance, you know, and it's like stuff like that. And it all comes from pain. Like if, if something feels like it's going to be a trigger for me, I'm like, well, 
I got to put up the shield. And I mean, obviously there's a, there's a boundary element to that, but it's also a lot of it comes from pain. No, I think that's so interesting because that make that's what makes it such a relatable character. Mm. No, I hope so. Yeah. I also wanted to talk a little bit about working with Matt Manfredi and Phil Hay, who mm. created the show, because it does sound like an environment where they are very open to mm. and ideas and, and that it's a very collaborative space in terms of talking about character and, and kind of mm. going through certain choices. What have been some of the ways in which that's really changed the, the collaborative element of making a show like this, or even just some of the choices that have ended up coming into the character from that sort of openness? Yeah, I am incredibly grateful to have worked with Matt and Phil um, and also, you know, Todd and Darren. And it's just many times in this business, writers are so, um, which I, I can understand, they're so protective of their work that they're not willing to budge in terms of dialogue or storyline. And Phil and Matt, every week, they gave me the opportunity to go through the script and ask questions and give suggestions. And let me tell you, that is a, that is not common. I mean, it is common for a lot of people, but like, it's a, it's a gift. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's it's a gift that I'm very thankful for because it gave like anything, I would even relate this to Veep because on Veep, whenever somebody would have an idea for a joke, it was always like, yeah, let's hear it. Cause there's a huge thing when you're a part of the equation of this creative, you know, so this creative game, you want to always feel heard. It doesn't matter if they take your suggestion because there's many suggestions I gave to Matt and Phil that they didn't take, but just the fact that they listened and they heard me, it's like, that's everything. You just feel like you've got a voice. And so I do not take that for granted at all. That's amazing. And, you know, obviously with everything we've been talking about, there's there's so many challenging elements that come with just the facet of playing two different characters on the same mm -hmm. show. But beyond that particular challenge, what have been some of the ways in which you feel like this show has really pushed you or challenged you in mm. new ways as well? Um, gosh, um, it's, it's pushed me a lot. Um, I, think, I think the first thing that just comes back to my head is like, it's very easy when you're, when you're given a job or, or a character comes along to not impulsively want to just go to your toolbox and pull out a way that you've done it before or something that already you know works and you can just do it that way. And I, I would be lying if I said I hadn't done that before. But, you know, what Phil and Matt brought to me and kind of this, uh, this whole journey of this character with the kids, you couldn't do that because it was too complex. And also not just that, what Trent Stewart gave us in the books there are so many layers to that. So I would be doing it such a disservice if I just went to my toolbox and did it a way that I think I've always done. Like that would be a huge disservice. You have to kind of surrender yourself to just the many different facets of the character, the, the history of the character. Um, what are the dreams of Kurt and what are the dreams of Benedict? All that you have to think about that stuff. And, and if I'd be lying if I said that, I wanted to do that all the time because you're, you don't want to, sometimes you don't want to dig that deep, but you have to. And, and these, and that's what was a, about the back and forth with Matt and Phil of just having those conversations, you know, it really helped fill out the characters. So really grateful for that. And, and lastly, off the back of that as well, you know, it's such an interesting trajectory in terms of what the show is tonally, mm. where, you know, it, it it's a family show that kids can watch, but also really works for an adult audience in terms mm -hmm. of 
approaching the messaging and, and the theme mm. the narratives. Um, and so how did you kind of work out at the beginning, kind of tonally where you felt mm. like you celebrate your performance to, in order to kind of encapsulate all that it's trying to do in that scope? Yeah. I mean, Matt and Phil and Todd and Darren, they, they had a lot, had most of, I would say the majority of dealing with the tone of the show. Cause just like you never really knew the time period, it was kind of this, and obviously it's just a palette of color, but it's a very interesting palette. It's kind of a muted palette with a lot of pastels and all this kind of stuff. Like it's, I don't know, there, it was so many hours of, of creating that tone. Um, in terms of performance, I think a lot of it was just doing that James Bob and directed the pilot uh, for the first season and just kind of putting something out there and wondering if it stuck with their vision and then kind of going back and forth of like, I see him a little more like this. Let's try this. He's maybe a little too broad here. Let's tone that back. Let's tone this up. So it was kind of like finding that, but it's the great thing is just always that back and forth, always that relationship of finding it rather than this is how it's going to be. This is, you know, it's like, Hey, let's, this is a partnership. Yeah, that's that's amazing to hear and really, really love those details when that's yeah, me too. dynamic off screen. And, you know, it's it's so enjoyable to watch the dynamic in these two characters that you've created on the show. So congratulations on a wonderful season two. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time. These are great questions. So great. So fun. Thank you for taking the time.